Welcome to another episode of Content Rookie with my guest Jack Garfinkel today. Uh, they're going to talk about a pilot project that they joined at their employer, where a UX writer, UX designer, and a user researcher work together very closely to solve some very interesting challenges. I'm really excited for some of their learnings. We're also going to talk about a couple of other things, like how to design a hiring process to make sure it's accessible and inclusive. Uh, sorry, my daughter is waking up now. I really hope you enjoy the episode. As usual, thanks so much for listening. If you have any questions and feedback, reach out to me or Jack. Um, all of their information is linked in the info box as well as mine. Thanks so much. Enjoy the episode. This is Nicole from Content Rookie. Welcome to the podcast, Jack. So you work at the UK disability charity called Scope, right? Yeah, that's right. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit more about what you do and how you started out there? Awesome. So, um, yeah, I work in a multidisciplinary team with uh, user researchers and other content designers and editors um, to provide information and advice for um, disabled people in their families, um, uh, for people who live in uh, England and Wales. Um, And I got started there uh, way back uh, in 2017. Uh, They were spinning up a pilot project. Mm -hmm. So they were were up until that point kind of uh, administering their content in a fairly conventional way. There was one uh one or two kind of quite overworked content people and not a lot of um research or data uh and they got the green light and budget to run up a pilot project with uh one user researcher one content designer and a manager Mm -hmm. um and we uh were doing work on employment and we were embedded with a service team so scope has a few services where they um, provide support to disabled people looking to find and stay in work um, and we uh, worked on producing that content and testing it and pretty much built everything from the ground up with some um, mentorship from, from Sarah Winters. Wow, that sounds um, amazing. So yeah. how did that project go? And I'm actually also really interested specifically in how, like, were, were there any KPIs or anything that was used to measure the project and how successful it was? Maybe you can share a little more about that. Yeah, um, so it went really well. Um, it was exciting and terrifying. <laughs> uh, we were given quite a lot of freedom, um, which was great, um, but, but did sometimes feel a bit like we were flying uh, without a net in right. the best, best and occasionally the worst ways, um, but mostly the best ways. Um, we were, so we focused on a lot of like the conventional KPIs for measuring success, mm-hmm. um, which is you know, the, the, what I sometimes call the trophy stats, like people looking at stuff. Mm. Um, but we um, were able to uh, also uh, sort of process to use failure indicators, but like in a positive way. Mm. So um, to, to think about it in terms of what should we improve next? Um, so looking for signs that people were either not getting to content or were getting there and maybe not having su- such a great time. And that, that was really liberating. Okay. I think that's really great that they decided to do this kind of project. Um, I wonder how, how did they find you? Was there like an open application you applied or did they reach out to you directly? How did that work? 
So it was really good timing. So um, I uh, I am married to a doctor mm -hmm. and junior doctor training in, in the UK um, means you're a bit nomadic, like you move around. So yeah. I knew I was going to have to leave London and my other charity content job at the time. Uh, you know, it, was another, it was another world then. Um, I knew I wasn't going to be able to work remotely. Right. So I knew I was going to have to quit. Um, and uh, the, the role came up and it was a six month contract and it was a bit less money than I was on, but it, it, uh, it was just too good an opportunity to pass up. And I knew, obviously I hoped it would go on longer, mm. but even if it didn't, I knew that that experience and that chance to really give it a go um, was um, too, too good an opportunity, too valuable to pass up. And the, the charity I was at um, before Scope it was interesting because it was it was quite stakeholder driven, but there were some really good pockets of really good chances to do stuff that was user focused. Right. And there was like a little um, sort of rebel alliance of content people who were trying to do stuff in the right way. Like we were reading all the GDS blogs and looking for opportunities to use data in design. Right. Um, and we all like something we must have done something right or something good must have been happening there because like one of them went on to citizens advice uh, another one went mm -hmm. on to government digital service and um parliamentary digital service um so yeah and i ended up at, at, at scope in a, in a content design team so um yeah that, that that's uh, the broad broad that, progression that's the journey okay yeah. and so you already said that the project was very successful but i'm wondering how would you say it was successful? What were the main learnings and the main challenges you were able to solve successfully? So that's a really good question. So there were like short-term successes, like we made stuff that people were looking at and it tested well, and the feedback uh, for, for a lot of the pieces was really good. Mm -hmm. um, but like in retrospect, um, and, uh, you know, sometimes um, the, these things only really make sense in retrospect. The thing that was most successful at mm. was building capacity and understanding in the organization right. and a team that could scale. So um, the content, the organization thought it was getting content and it did, but what they really got was a, a team that could learn and scale. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of that content still exists, um, but it like, has changed beyond recognition. Some of it's been deleted um and it, it's working better than it was so that i'd say that in the long term that that's been the main success um content that works and a team that can learn and scale right i think that's really great that you say specifically this because it's something that so many teams underestimate right when they kick off projects like this especially for the first time <laughs> so i'm wondering since you work well as a very specific kind of charity um how did some of that testing that user research look were there any more specific challenges compared to what yeah. you were working on before um anything you learned from that so the only testing where other work happened where i was before stuff we did off our own back as content people didn't mm -hmm. have anyone to help us with that um so having someone whose job it was to help with the recruitment and, and run the testing and I could um, sort of sit, be a bit of a backseat driver um, was, you know, really, really nice. Um, and although it was challenging, that felt much easier uh, just being on a team where it was taken for granted that like testing right. was good and that there was time and, and money 
made available to do those things. Um, it was really helpful. Um, the testing's changed a bit as we've gone on. Um, so we started off doing physical highlighter testing. So someone would read through a piece of content on paper and underline things they didn't understand and talk to us about them. Um, to a combination of um, sort of more, well, that, the highlighter version of that testing is more sort of verbal. So mm. they read through it and it's remote now mm -hmm. um, by default, which is great. Mm. Um, and we also run scenario based tests um, because we found out that people were not good at reporting when they didn't understand, um, either because they were embarrassed or they didn't know they didn't understand. Right. Um, so by setting up a scenario and saying, what would you do in this scenario? And if you don't understand, can you talk to us about why you don't understand? It was really, really helpful. So that the testing's evolved as we, we've gone on and it's looked, um, looked more like usability testing uh, in, in some cases. All right, great. Um, so now you said the pilot project is completed, but you're still <laughs> working there. How have things changed ever since that initial project? Were there any, I assume you got like a new budget and kind of a new way forward. Was there anything you right away felt like, okay, like this I would like to add or this I would like to change? So that's, um, so I could talk about the obvious things that changed. The obvious thing that changed was we got bigger um, <laughs> and then we got smaller, um, but we're still bigger than when we started. So that, right. that's the obvious change. The, the other changes have been really incremental, really slowly, especially the changes that worked. Mm. So they're, they're, they're quite hard to comment on because the scale of change has been almost uh, sort of geological. Um, if I was going to pick out one thing, I think it'd be much better at using search data now. So we would, um, combined with our qualitative insights, so things like um, user in user research interviews and looking at social media posts mm -hmm. um, before we would um, translate pretty much all qual insights into user stories which we would then um, turn into content these days we cross-reference those against search data right. um, much more rigorously and um, check stuff to make sure it's still um, still being looked at so our, our content creation policies and deletion policies are almost mirrors of each other they are mirrors of each other um uh so it, there's a difference between someone having a valid problem in their life that is real and um checking when um someone has a real problem and they're looking online for um help with that problem right um so some of the refinement we've done has been um bluntly we've really got too much content for some things um and it turns out actually although there is there is this complex journey around an issue for example hiring a, a, a carer or personal assistant actually people are only looking for information at two points um when they're finding it it's hard for them to find one and if they have one and something's gone wrong right um, and we had all sorts of other stuff, like if you needed a team of PAs or you wanted to write a job description, um, but actually people were not not looking for that, even though that was a real problem people were talking about in interview. Gotcha. All right. I think that's really interesting. You mentioned that one of the big obvious changes was that the team grew. Um, mm -hmm. And specifically at the place you're working at, um, I'm really curious to hear how you ensured you were really hiring the right people that understood the problem attacked. Um, 
I assume hiring for diversity was very important in, in that position that you were in and your colleagues, I assume. So I'm wondering if there were any things that you learned while doing that or anything specifically you maybe implemented to make sure you were finding the right folks, because I know this is something a lot of people are struggling with when they're hiring. So um, the right folks, <laughs> that's really interesting. Because I think, um, I think that's a spectrum. Mm. I think often people talk in terms of like the most qualified candidate, mm. um, but actually there are lots of people who are appointable and mm. bring something something different. If I was going to search out a single quality, it would be a willingness to try new things and to learn. Mm -hmm. um, we um, like we we pay we we do benchmark our wages, but like we're not at the higher end of the private sector mm. or anywhere close. So um, there there has to be a reason why people are applying for us, and like often the mission is part of that, but mm. it, it can't cover all of it. So. Bluntly, anyone who's a fully qualified content designer can charge a um, £500 day rate. So there's got to be a reason they're applying to us for a, for a wage, mm. um, which means they've probably not done it before or not done it exactly, a, not done it in a big organisation before. Yeah. Um, so they've got to be willing to learn. Um, we've uh, and we inherited somebody who worked from Parliamentary Digital Service who was leaving. Right. Um, that was one way. So people leaving places um, with with a culture. We, um, Chloe Tier, who works with us, who is awesome. Um, she came to us from the um, online community. Mm -hmm. So I can um, so I can take you know some credit for um, being open to internal applicants, but but actually that was. Uh, an internship program started by my colleague Alex, mm -hmm. um, and um, she she was and she was a blogger of like some of his experience, uh, and had done a lot of customer facing stuff, and had already been presenting um, people with digest of the information they needed when they needed it. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't called content design, um, but that is mostly what she was doing. Um, so she didn't have that far to travel and um, kind of fit it in really quickly. So I think that pipeline from customer facing roles is important. And we've got um, someone working with us from Helpline at the moment, just on a sort of uh, intermittent basis. Um, and that, that's really fun. Those skills translate really, really well. Um, in terms of diversity, um, We've also, um, well, I also developed uh, an internship program in the support of the, the management at Scope. Um, and the, that was designed from the ground up to be accessible um, to disabled people, but also um, looking at kind of an intersectional diversity. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that meant um, things like uh, not requiring qualifications, not requiring a degree. Mm -hmm. um, uh, trying to build it around skills rather than experience mm -hmm. so not not making a game that privileged people who get heaps of unpaid work experience at the inverted commas is going to write click. right um and doing um task-based recruitment mm -hmm. so um like the first sift uh, I hate that word sift um <laughs> but, but the first thing we looked at in people's applications was an editing task Mm -hmm. And that editing task was designed to be short. Mm 
mm-hmm. uh, because finding time is hard. It had instructions that linked to tutorials. So again, going back to that ability to learn, um, we said what we were looking for. We linked to places that told you how to do it. So even if you were coming to this fairly cold, um, you had a chance. You had a good chance. We weren't looking for coded um, language or behaviours. We said what we were looking for, mm-hmm. and um, we marked it pretty. We marked it very transparently, um, which made it easy um, because we got quite a high number of applicants. Um, so I was great grateful for that too. Um, yeah, sorry, I've spoken a lot about that. I think I think that's super super interesting. Um, you mentioned you try to avoid certain certain terms, certain code words. How did you ensure, like, how did you become aware of those words? Like, did you do any research yourself or was this something you were able to test with the, um, in air quotes, target audience or how did that work? So, um, some basic, uh, immediate tests. Uh, so the, um, looking for gender coded language, right. uh, using automated tests. Um, but yeah, we tested everything with mm. people. We treated cool. it like content. Yeah. Um, and we're lucky cause we've already got user researchers who were really up for, um, working on that as a project and we're used to recruiting, uh, people and testing with people. Um, so we got feedback on the task instructions. Um, it wasn't as rigorous, uh, but I, I workshopped a lot of the stuff on Twitter mm-hmm. uh, for the, the job advert, and even the job title. Um, so to sort of avoid that, I think it's kind of quite a common pattern in recruitment where you work on stuff in private and then you have like a grand reveal and yeah. you find out it's sort of broken. Um, so I got to find out which bits were broken early and fix them. Yeah, right. I think this is like, so valuable that you're sharing this because I think so many companies can learn from this specifically smaller teams or companies that are on a budget and they're maybe looking to bring on their first content designer and they essentially don't really know what they're doing um this testing can be done and it doesn't always have to be on a huge scale uh, but it can be so so valuable to ensure that you attract the right people and then in the end I do think it actually saves you time because you know you're not going to be spending so much time maybe going through massive applications or interviewing candidates who are not the right fit um yeah no I'd recommend it I, I I'd certainly recommend it and um if any of those prospective employees are listening I would um urge them to hire a user researcher <laughs> alongside their content designer or yes. possibly instead of you probably have a, a a long-suffering content person somewhere in your ranks who's willing to give it a go Definitely. Um, you can do, could do great things with a, a, a little bit of mentoring and uh, and a user researcher yeah I, I definitely agree with that i think it's a little bit interesting to me it feels like a lot of content designers and ux writers on twitter or linkedin or wherever um we tend to complain a lot i personally feel like that at least about you know um we're not not enough of us are being hired for projects client or clients are underestimating us or not utilizing us the right way um which i definitely think is true in certain ways and maybe truer in some companies than others uh, but in my personal experience it's the user researchers that really have this issue because so many times um actually just now i was speaking to uh, a ux designer friend of mine and she's starting a new project with a client where she's the ux designer she was asking do you know a freelance ux writer they want to like budget for one of those and i'm like i mean yes but 
how are you going to work? Is there a user researcher on the team? And there isn't. So, I mean, it's great that they've considered they want a designer, they want a content person, but then there's only so much those two can do together, right? Without being actually able to test all of the stuff that they're working on. Um, so I feel like there's a lot that still has to happen there in that conversation. For sure. I mean, you can't design with data without data. Yeah. And I mean, that's, I think, that's, I think the part that I find a little bit sad where design, even if you bring on a really good UX designer, even if you bring on a really good content designer, it's still going to primarily be focused on looking pretty um, or mm -hmm. seeming pretty to to the end client if if that research is not being done. Because, you know, um, I'm sure you've, you would agree with this, but after working in this field for years and years, still every day I suggest a solution and then we test it and it's absolutely the wrong solution. <laughs> Oh, for sure. So, yeah. yeah. Um, still, uh, we, we joke a lot about soul crushing feedback. Yeah. <laughs> we get that all the time. But, you know, that's, that's the game as it's played. Exactly. I think it's really about em embracing that. We don't know. All we can do is come up with ways and possibilities and then try to get some time testing them and get some really good user researchers on board and also enable them to actually do the testing that has to be done. Um, there were some really big surprises for us in the early days about language. Yeah. Um, so things like um, uh, benefits. Um, as a plain, kind of a, a clear language person, like get benefits seems better than receive benefits. Yeah. Um, but we found that people were really averse to get benefits. Like yeah. they found it offensive. They thought it made, made them sound like scroungers. Um, right. So we leaned into re receive benefits, and that tested a lot better. Um, Interesting. Uh, uh, yeah, I was kind of kind of sad, really. I, I, I'd love to do an experiment when you know in a different political climate that hadn't kind of whipped up uh, to to make people who, who need benefits kind of kind of feel that way. Um, but but yeah, that was interesting, and it's been echoed. I've had a wonderful chance to kind of meet meet some people on on the government side, and they've had they've had the same experience. Or um, what else have we had? Um, like a scope has guidelines on when scope is speaking as scope, not you know, not, right. not not relaying a quote. How scope talks about disability, um, and it's called the social model of disability. Yeah. Uh, and uh, some of that tests fine, and some of it doesn't. So, like the word um, condition is fine. Mm. Uh, the word impairment is not fine. Mm. But they, they were both in our style guide, so. We, we, we um, yeah, stopped stopped using that or used it a lot more kind of sparingly. Um, so yeah, lots lots of lessons, not necessarily in the most the most obvious uh, places. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing those examples. I think those were really great. Um, it, it also really, I'm very passionate about. I keep saying this on podcasts and on talks and sometimes on Twitter, and it always pisses people off because. I am of the firm belief that there is no best practice in content design. I just don't think it exists. The only best practice, if you're willing to call it so, is to test, right? And to do that research. But all of those other things, like you shouldn't use these kind of phrases, you shouldn't use that, unless of course they're hurting like an audience in terms of, you know, not being inclusive. But I, I don't really think there is any best practice outside of that, because depending on the product and the audience and everything else that is going on, something that might seem like it's totally cool because a lot of big players are doing it, might still not work for that specific product. Um, so yeah, I feel very passionately about that. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Um, testing is your safety net. 
and like what works, what works is your safety net. Um, and that's a spectrum and it's one that shifts over time. Um, so yeah, in 10 years time, uh, we'll be talking about things differently and that's fine. Um, I think when you're in a good place where you do testing, uh, it becomes less about ego and best practice. So like someone who's a better designer because they're or a better writer because they're steeped in best practice and they know and what they think is best. Um, it, it, it's very, it's very freeing, initially disorientating and then very free. Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So to kind of like wrap this up a little bit, I'm curious if there's anything that you're currently looking forward to with your work at Scope that is going to something that you're excited to work on, like some change that is happening or, or something new maybe that you haven't done before, anything that you think could be valuable to share? So we are looking at um, what we call life events. Mm -hmm. And that I find that really exciting. Um, so they're triggers in someone's life where they need a bunch of things. Mm -hmm. And those bunch of things are not linked usually in terms of subjects. So it might cut across like benefits, social care, education. Um, but but um, you, you might need a broad spread of things triggered by a context and the ones we have been and are going to be looking at are things like moving house mm -hmm. and becoming disabled, which has quite a big crossover with um, long COVID. Mm -hmm. um, and those those are the things I'm most excited about. So they don't, they're mainly like, there's a, uh, a small amount of content involved, actually not that much compared mm -hmm. to the things we've done. It's mainly architectural um so the how what you bring together and how you bring them together um but yeah i'm really excited about that because what we means will be uh hopefully kind of surfacing the right right things to people at the right time wow and i i think that's a really good way to kind of close this off because that's what it's all about in the end right it's it's maybe less about just the content and more about the how and who and where do we get it and how do we make it you know most easy and as little harmful as possible that's the aim yeah Thank you so much for sharing, Jack. Is there anything else you'd like to share or can we maybe have you on this podcast again sometime? How do you feel? <laughs> That's it from me for this time, I think. Thank you for listening. Um, I'd love to come on again. It's Perfect. been lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jack. See you soon. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was it for Content Rookie today. Thanks so much again for listening. If you have any feedback, all of my details and Jack's details are linked in the description box as usual. Feel free to share the episode and I hope you listen again next time. Thank you so much. I'm Nicole and this is Content Rookie.